That, really? That's great. So we always know that we can trust in God and we can have these conversations and it makes us feel better. So can we, can we pray? And just repeat after me. Dear God, when I have a bad day, please listen to my prayers and make me feel better. And all God's children said, Amen. All right. Preschoolers, you can head right over out this door. Do we have our preschool instructor over here? Right there. So head over there if you want to go to the preschool. No, I'm going to use these. So today, we've been in our sermon series, going back to the Old Testament, in our story of David. And our theme has been Solid Core. And we're going to continue that today, and we're going to talk about the story that most of us are very familiar with when we talk about David. And so, if all of you could stand for the gospel... And if you want to follow along in your Bible, it'll be on page 228. So we're going to go into 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 38 through 47. And then we're going to, hopefully we're going to pull that up. Otherwise, I'll just refer back to uh, 228 and I'll read it right out of here. It's fine. Oh, there we go. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the wadi, put them in his shepherd's bag, in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David, with a shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the hosts, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So can we pull up the, uh, the image? So I want you to take a look at that image for a second. 
And just think for a moment, what do you see when you see that image? I saw this, this image for the first time on Facebook, and it caught my attention. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what this is all about. So as I read the post of the poster, and what he described is, as you look at those two apples, is this is what people want you to see on Facebook, but this is what the real lives look like. And I thought to myself, in some cases, sure, that could be, but we do have weddings, we do have vacations, we do get together, and those are typically the things that you'll see on social media. So it seemed a little general, a little assuming. But when I take a look at this, this picture, maybe it's just as simple as an apple in front of a mirror. I don't think that was the photographer's intention, though. I think the photogra- photographer intended us to think. It could symbolize so much if you just think about it for a moment. So is that apple, could that represent us as people? Does it represent how we look? Could it represent how we feel? Could it represent our attitude? Better yet, is that apple facing the mirror or is it facing the observer? Does that apple represent, when we look in the mirror, this is how we see ourselves? But the other side is how people see us, the ones that we hurt? Or is that apple on the perfect side, is that how God created, created the earth and wanted it to look? And then interesting enough, and ironically enough, many artists have depicted the apple as the forbidden fruit, which changed the course of everything and gave the earth the blemishes that it has. So the longer I I pondered on this picture, I thought, you know what, maybe there is truth to the person that, that posted this. Maybe we do want people to see the perfect side, and the blemish side is all the secrets that we don't want anyone else to know about. It's the failing marriage. It's the unfaithfulness. It's the financial ruin failing business, failing career, hoarding, theft, addiction, abuse. Maybe it's our relationship with God. So it's a lot to think about. So where do we find the strength to contend with all of that? And maybe all of that is the pain, the sorrow, and the brokenness, and the grief that comes along with it. So where do we find the strength? So I think back a few years ago, maybe around 10 years ago, it seemed like every three months or so, I was going to the chiropractor. I'd get a little fatigued. Maybe I was lifting too much that day, helping someone move. Maybe bent over all day working on something or working in a garden. And after a little while, my back would be tired, and I would lift something with bad form, and just like that, you'd feel your back go out. And the next day, I'd get out of bed, and I could barely even move. You can't straighten your legs. You can't straighten your back. You just know that you have this tremendous amount of pain. And so I thought to myself, I'm not old enough to be dealing with all all this type of pain. Now, I realized that I had gained a considerable amount of weight over the last five years of my life. I also understood that I wasn't working out, so I wasn't helping myself. 
Well, I shouldn't say that. I was helping myself to seconds and thirds at the dinner table all the time, but that was the only thing I was helping myself to. So I decided, you know what? I probably need to get a little more serious about my diet. I need to get a little more serious about my exercise. So I started to lift weights. Uh, I actually started to do triathlon and lost like 40 pounds. And I was so pumped about my transformation. But I still had one problem, lower back issues. And so I'd been to several chiropractors looking for someone to fix it, and all of them said the exact same thing. Jeff, your core is weak. So they would show me a few exercises, and I would maybe start them, work with them a little while, but I never truly sustained it. I never really developed them. So did I get some help? Maybe a little bit, but it was never truly enough to make a big enough impact to help me out. So over time, I started to say, you know what, I'm going to raise my goals. Now I went from triathlon, now I want to run half marathons. So I started to go down the the road of half marathons. But I never trusted my body. I always had minor injuries or small uh, injuries that would just keep catching up to me. So finally I got serious and I said, you know what, I want to to be able to run pain-free and I want to up the ante. I want to run a full marathon through the badlands of, of North Dakota. In order to do this, I have to gain some, gain some trust in my body. So I went to a, a trainer, did some consulting, and he said, let's do some tests. So in a matter of time, he demonstrated how unbalanced my strength was. See, I had worked so hard on my arms, my shoulders, my upper back, my chest, upper legs, lower legs, but I was not paying attention to my core. And so as the trainer talked to me, he said, do you realize that your core is the foundation of your entire body? This is your power source for your body. All of the strength that you have is coming from your core. You're asking your extremities to do all of the work, but you don't have the inner source to help protect those. You can't support it. If you want true strength, you need to have it in your core. If you want true endurance, you need to have it in your core. The only way that you're going to meet your goals is to have the inner strength. So when we think of our faith, are we strengthening our spiritual core? Our spiritual foundation, our heart and our soul, is sometimes the the muscles that we exercise the very least. And just like my former exercise program, we will find ways and means to try to support our own ability to handle our problems. When shouldn't we truly be going out, out and asking for God's help? And isn't this the most important 100% thing that we need, need every single day? Yet we still go out and try to do it on our own and we don't have the trust that God's going to be there. So how often do we take time to pray? How often do we take time to read Scripture? How often do we meditate? How often do we just sit with God and just look at all the blessings that we have? He provides everything that we have from our homes, our church, our jobs, families, the very air that we breathe, but we think that it's all good with just a few words of affirmation. In fact, we will feed our outer man three hot meals a day 
but we're willing to let our inner man get one cold snack per week. So exercising our spiritual core is what allows us to develop the relationship with God. That relationship with God, as it grows, develops trust. And today's gospel is a great example of trust. David's trust in the Lord. So last week we learned, as Pastor Dan talked about, the anointing of David. So let's rewind for a second and recap that. So the prophet Samuel has been chosen to anoint a king. And Jesse's sons come out one by one. And Eliab, the first son, comes out. And he looks like that perfect apple. Handsome, got the right look, everything is great. And God says, nope, that's not the one. Then the next son comes out. Nope, that's not the one. And the next, and the next, and the next. Well, finally Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, I've got the youngest one. He's out tending to the sheep. Could you, could you bring him in? And he probably looks more like the partially eaten side of the apple more than everybody else, but yet God says, that's him. That's the one. So why did God do that? I mean, do, not, do looks not count for anything? I mean, we're anointing a king, but we haven't considered how it's going to look. God says, no, that's not the most important thing. I am worried about what's in his heart. The Lord knows that David is going to trust him with all of his heart. So now we go to the, the setup for, today, for today's lesson. We've got the Philistines, who are great oppressors of the Israelites. The battle lines have been drawn. We've got the Philistines on one hillside. We've got the Israelites on another with a valley in between. And every day, every morning and every evening for 40 days, this mammoth man named Goliath walks out, he's the champion, and he taunts the Israelite army. He defies them, he denounces their God, and he says, every day and every evening, send somebody out to challenge me. If your guy defeats me, we will serve you, we'll become your slaves. But if you send a guy out and I kill him, now you will become my slaves. Now we have to think about what Goliath looked like for a second here. In the Bible it describes he's nearly like 10 feet tall. Probably not historically accurate. I think we're larger people today than we were at that time and we don't see 10-footers walking around. But he's, he's, he's a massive man. He's extremely tall. More impressively is his armor. Bronze helmet, big body of armor. Even his legs are covered. Three weapons, a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Very intimidating. So when he comes out to challenge the Israelite army, what do they do? They're petrified. I'm not going out there. That guy's going to, I'll be dead within a minute. I'm not going to go out there and take him. So there are no challengers. And as I said, this goes on day after day. Now in the meantime, Jesse has David tending to the sheep. And David is, a, is a, a servant of Saul, and he's also an armor bearer. So David's been going back and forth to this battle line, and Jesse stops him one day and says, you know what, David, I need you to go down to that battle line. I need you to bring some grain. I need you to bring some cheese. I need you to bring some bread. Bring all that down there, and bring me back some assurance. I want to know that my three boys that are down there, the three oldest boys, I want to know that they're okay. 
So David finds someone to tend to the sheep, and he makes his way down to the, uh, to the, to the front line. He comes in, he drops his supplies off, and as he walks around through the Israelites, Goliath comes out and does his normal, normal rant, challenging somebody, defying the army of Israel. Now, David, Easton, come up here a second. So, here's your typical 13-year-old, non-assuming. If I call you a pipsqueak, is that going to offend you today? All right. Well, I'll make it up to you when we get home. So, in the eyes of everyone else, this is a, this is a pipsqueak. This is a prepubescent 13-year-old that just came down, dropped off some grain and some bread, and he comes down and he listens to David or Goliath come out and say all these things, basically defying the God that he has complete trust in. And he's offended. And quite frankly, I think he's a little surprised that nobody's going, on, going out to take on Goliath. You, I'll let you sit down now. So he's offended and he says, hey, what happens to the person that goes out and kills Goliath? And they said, well, have you seen this man that keeps coming out? Saul said, a person that can kill him will receive great wealth, his daughter in marriage, and exempt his family from taxes. And David keeps hearing him talk, and he says, this uncircumcised Philistine, it's kind of like, this guy? We're all worried about this guy? David knows that he's got someone on his side that he doesn't, and it's God. So as David comes around, he's probably getting a little cocky, a little arrogant with himself, while the other soldiers thought, this might be the guy. This might be him. So they go and tell Saul. Saul says, you know what? Send this person to me. And I can imagine what's, what Saul probably thinks. He sees a young teenager coming towards him, and he's looking over his, looking over his head and over his shoulders, like, where is this guy coming? When is he going to come? And all of a sudden, there's David standing in front of him. Hey, I'm your guy. And Saul has to think to himself right away, are you kidding me? And in fact, he says to him, you're just a young boy. This guy is a warrior. He's been a warrior since he was a young man. What are you doing here? In fact, his older brother even questioned him. Why are you here? I know your conceited heart. I know your wicked heart. You just came down here to watch the battle. And David says, but David says to Saul, I tend to the sheep. The lions, the bears come, and when they take the sheep, I get to the lion, I strike him, I take the sheep from its mouth. And when the lion and the bear attack me, I grab it by its hair, I strike it, and I kill it. God protects me from the lion's paw, he protects me from the bear's paw, and he will protect me from that uncircumcised Philistine that's over there defying the army of Israel. Saul's thinking to himself, well, that's a pretty good argument. So he immediately goes back to what we, were, what we have up here. He takes off his helmet, sticks it on David's head. And you can imagine what this looks like. We've got a 13-year-old. We've got a grown man's armor on. The helmet's probably wobbling around on his head. When he turns, it's probably swinging like this. Puts on his armor. It's probably about ready to knock him down. It's heavy. It doesn't fit right. He doesn't feel good moving around in it. Then he takes a sword and he fastens it on, onto it as well. The sword's probably so heavy he can't even hardly wield it. 
And David recognizes right there, I'm not used to this. And what he's saying is, I'm not used to it. It doesn't fit. I can't move around in it. I probably look absurd. And if I go out wearing this, I'm for sure at a disadvantage. So he takes it off. He takes it all off. And he goes over to a a little brook or a stream and finds five round stones and goes on to take Goliath, massive man, warrior, completely armored up, and he goes out with five stones and a sling. Seems, seems crazy, doesn't it? And Goliath is so excited that he sees him and he tells him, today I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds and the animals. And not only does David not get scared, he essentially says the same thing back to him, but the difference between what Goliath said and what David says is this is the Lord's battle. Today the Lord is going to deliver you to my army. And so as David gets prob- or Goliath probably gets more angry and more arrogant, he decides he's going to start coming at David. And instead of David maybe rethinking it, instead he starts to come towards the battle line. In fact, it says that he starts to run towards the battle line. He takes the sling, puts the stone in it, and flings it so hard and so true that the stone goes right into Goliath's forehead, buries itself in his head, and... He goes right down, face first into the ground. And David doesn't stop there. He fulfills his promise of what he was going to do to him. He runs over to David, stands above him, pulls out the the sword out of the sheath, raises it, and cuts Goliath's head off. Now the Philistine army at this point, they have to be in utter amazement of just what they just saw. And in fact, it's not just amazement. Fear sets in. They've heard David say what's going to happen. He fulfilled that part of it. Now they have to be thinking, what happens for the second part that he said? He said that the army was going to be destroyed today. And what happens? They get scared. They turn and run. And the rest of his promise is fulfilled. The Israelite army pursues them and slaughters them one by one down the entire road. David picks up Goliath's head and brings it back to Saul. How much trust did that young man need that day? Did he come in and say, you know what? I kind of think I could do this. I sort of believe that I could go out there and do it. He gets a little more serious than that. He doesn't come down there and have any any questions whatsoever. He's ready to go down and, and take him on with all of the trust in the world. He's met by a naysayer, his brother. Eliab questions his intention, questions his heart. Saul looks over him and says, I can't send you out there. Goliath laughs in his face and is probably excited for the fact that he's the guy that's going to come out and take him on. None of that makes him waver one bit. He knows he's on the verge of doing something great. He knows the Lord's going to empower him. He knows the Lord has his back. He gives him a complete 100% trust on that day And he fulfills God's promise to him. We all have an uncircumcised Philistine in our life. Sometimes it's external. Most times it's probably internal. It's their thoughts. 
And so for us to conquer those, we have to be more like David. We're asked to trust the Lord with our whole heart. Not part of it, not some of it, but our whole heart. And for us to to gain that trust, we have to have a relationship. And God wants to have that relationship with you. He sits there 24-7, patiently waiting for you to have a discussion, patiently waiting for you to bring your troubles to him. And that's what helps develop the trust. When you have someone in a relationship, when you have experiences together, when you have talks together, when you spend time together, that relationship grows, the love builds, and as love builds, so does the trust. The great thing about God is it's never too late. We always have the ability to come to him. Now keep in mind, folks, that relationship we have with God, it's not innate. You aren't born with it. This is a behavior. This is a learned behavior. This is something where if you want it, you have to take the time. You have to put in the energy. He's willing and he's able. It's up to you. Do you want to have that relationship? So as you go through your days, realize that he's there waiting for you. He wants that relationship. So take some time. Exercise your spiritual core every single day. It's not too late. You can start the relationship. You can rekindle an old one. Or you can continue to grow the one that you have today. So when God looks at you, we talked about the apple. Yes, we have our flaws. Yes, we maybe don't want people to see them. But God knows. He sees the perfect side of you. He also sees your flaws. And in the upcoming weeks, probably next week, we'll learn David had flaws too. He has a lot of flaws. But God still sees the perfect side of all of us. And that allows us to be the word that we learned last week or the week before. It's flossom. We can go out and still be flossom. Amen. So if you bow your head for prayer. Lord, help us develop our relationship with you. Help us find time in our day to sit, talk with you, experience things with you, educate us, give us time to learn and grow that trust. We so desperately want that trust. We want to love you with our whole heart. We want to trust you with our whole heart. Make it a priority in our lives. Make it a discipline in our lives to spend time with you every single day. Spending time with you will help us grow, will help us develop, and make the rest of our lives better. In your name we pray, amen.